is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, March 31st, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Taylor Schwink, Sarah Abbott, working back in Bristol on Buster Only, sitting on a park bench, guys. Uh, outside of our hotel, doing the podcast today on my iPhone. Because in the morning of the second day of the baseball season, what happened? My computer fried. So I'm going to need your help today. Buster, is this you right now? <laughs> I don't want to complain because it's like early in the season and everything's going great. And I, and I must admit that like I, I dropped some water on my, uh, my, my computer but a couple weeks ago. And my partner kept telling me, she was like, yeah, it's going to fry. It's going to fry at some point. I'm like, no, it's fine. Look, three quarters of the screen are operational. And so to text her this morning and tell her she was right, that was very painful. Mm. Sarah, do you have any advice for Buster on, on the next time he spills water on his computer? <laughs> As someone who is very technology accident prone, always get the warranty, always get the insurance just eliminate any room for oh error. Oh my goodness, Sarah, as I hear you, I'm just <laughs> hearing paraphrase. I told you so. <laughs> All right. So Taylor, because this is different and I can't work off a screen, I'm sort of riffing off a notepad I have here. I'm going to need your help. Okay. That's I think we can do that for you. Let it rip. All right. So opening day, give me something from Aaron Judge in the Yankees game against the Giants. That one's driven to center field and deep. Yastrzemski back. Still back on the track at the wall. See ya. He picks up where he left off. A home run for Judge. One nothing Yanks. Give me something from Judge speaking after the game. The home run and the reception. First game as captain. Is this the uh, your greatest opening day? Yeah, anytime you come away with a win opening day and kind of get things rolling like that, and, and it's uh, makes for a pretty special opening day. But it was, you know, fans were loud. You know, great reception for everybody in the lineup. You know, it was pretty cool getting to see uh, Anthony Volpe's reception too there, you know, batting ninth. And um, I almost felt like he was chasing 62 there for his first at bat, man, the way the, the, way the crowd was. So it was it, it was pretty special. But we, uh, you know, what, what a game. Cole starting off for us and, you know, coming away with the win, man. That was big time. So Judge finished first in the MVP race last year. The guy who finished second started for the Angels late last night, and he was outstanding. Give me something from Shohei Otani. Here we go on two and two. Swing and a miss, strike three. He's on the Shohei freeway. Otani. He's on the freeway, the one-on-one. Wow. He was dealing, and they lost. <laughs> it's just sort of a classic uh, Shohei Otani situation. All right, give me something from the Orioles game. The 2 He swings and drives it to deep right field. Verdugo going back. He's on the track. He's looking up. And this one is out of here. It's a home run for Adley Rutschman. Adley gets the year started in a way that he could have only hoped for. Adley Rutschman, five for five. He went absolutely crazy. Give me something from Dylan Cease, who was dominant in the White Sox 3-1 win over the Astros. Wind up in the 0-2 to Bregman. Swing and a miss. Got him. Slider, 10 strikeouts for Dylan Cease. And that ties a Chicago White Sox record for the most strikeouts by a White Sox starter on opening day. Yeah, so there's tons of great highlights from opening day. And, uh, you know, I, I give you a few more, but Carl Ravage is going to be waiting for me in the lobby after we talk to him to make this drive to Arlington for the weekend. 
So, Taylor, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a few newsy notes before we uh, we grab Carl. Uh, first, Justin Verlander yesterday went on the injured list. He's got a, a shoulder problem that the Mets are terming mild. I think that's uh, the feeling is they don't want to push him too much early in the season. I'm going to ask Carl about that. All best wishes to Daniel Bard, who told reporters yesterday he's dealing with them some anxiety issues. He, of course, had what is known in baseball as the yips, was out of the game for a lot of years, and then he hit Jose Altuve, broke his thumb during the WBC, and now he's stepping aside. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, Daniel can, uh, can find his way back to the big leagues. Everyone's rooting for him. And Wilson Contreras, the big signing for the Cardinals over the weekend, um, big contract taking over for Yadi Molina. He was hit on the knee by a 103-mile-per-hour fastball on Thursday. The x-rays came back negative, but he's going to have an MRI later today. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, Sarah and I are going to be working on Sunday evening. We're going to be recording an episode of the College Game Day podcast with Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. They're going to recap the Final Four, spin it forward to the National Championship game. You'll hear some sound from Reese's interviews with the uh, the two championship coaches. So uh, give that a follow wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And we'll be back Sunday evening, Monday morning. And uh, yeah, enjoy some basketball and some baseball this weekend. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit. 
And the rabbit train last night was in Houston. Carl Ravage, play-by-play man for Sunday Night Baseball. And in that game last night, Astros against the White Sox. Roger Clemens alongside. Ravi, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great. It's great to be underway. Had a very exciting game. Uh, Clemens was was really interesting. He was insightful. I thought he was terrific in a in a maiden voyage during a game. Uh, Dylan Cease was great. If, if we could if we could somehow get Megan the Stallion to get on board with the pitch clock, <laughs> the whole thing would the whole thing would have been done without a hitch. I think what we were delayed by two minutes in part because of the time she took to deliver the first pitch. Is that accurate? Yeah, there, there, there was a there was a lot of moving around on the mound. There were a lot of box before she threw the ball, but uh, no violations were actually called or issued. Yeah. All right. So it's the first morning after the first day of the regular season, which means we are absolutely required professionally to overreact. So I've got yeah, this oh, long yeah. list of topics that I have on my notepad out here uh, outside yeah. the hotel. And, of course, you have to start with Aaron Judge. Hitting a home run is first plate appearance. Uh, of 2023 after setting the record last year. This means he's going to obliterate his own record, right, Carl? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, he's going to have 80, 80 to 100 homers this year. Um, and the Yankees are likely to go maybe 150 and 12. Uh, you know, pitched a shutout. Cole was good. <laughs> they beat the Giants. They're supposed to be good. Look, the, the judge thing was incredible uh, for so many reasons. Uh, a, he took a sinker ball pitcher out to center field. He did it against the team that wanted to give him three hundred plus million dollars. San Francisco's lineup relative to the Yankees just just looked so meek. And you can try to imagine Judge on the other side, and what a difference it would have made. Then um, again, on a sunny, cold day in New York, Aaron Judge felt like, and and there were other teams. I'm sure we'll get to them that felt like we just literally picked up from last October. Judge Judge was one of those stories that felt like there was no off season. We're just picking up where we left off. Carl, I do feel like that he's going to have a season similar to last year. I was on Get Up yesterday. I followed Jessica Mendoza. They asked, uh, you know, they asked her what how happened? many home runs Judge would hit this year, and she said 50, and I'm like, no, no, no. I, I do think he's going to challenge his own record because, as Aaron Boone has told us, he's figured out how to stay on the field, and he's right in the prime of his career I think all the anxiety that uh, he may have felt beneath the surface that he had last year, that he played with last year, that's all gone because he knows where he's going to be the rest of his career. I think he's going to have an incredible season. Look, the the same thing that you wondered about last year, Buster, was at some point if somebody stopped pitching to Aaron Judge. Yes. Uh, Yeah, in overreaction day one, (laughs) yeah, maybe that's something that we should put in the back of people's minds already. Like, that's that to me is silly, but that's going to be, I think, the thing if he starts to do what he did last year and you're facing teams that are trying to, you know, beat you in a division race or a better record in the American League, well, if he's the guy that's going to hit 60-plus homers, you are not going to give him anything to hit, but the lineup's really good. Um, you know, Glaber Torres hit a home run as a DH yesterday. LeMayhew is healthy. Volpe had a terrific first at bat in which he showed a lot of patience. There's speed there. Um, in overreaction day one, the, the Yankees looked really good for a lot more reasons than just Aaron Judge, and yet he stole the show last year, and he stole the show on day one. Yeah, I remember talking about this like in July, like, well, at some point they're going to stop pitching to him, and they never did. And I still haven't yeah. figured out why they didn't, especially as they drop like flies in their lineup and they had all these injuries and Judge was uh, single-handedly 
propping up that offense. Why they kept throwing him strikes was beyond me. I agree with you about Volpe. That first plate appearance, you know, all the adrenaline, all the excitement, all the family in the ballpark, and he, he works a walk on a bunch of borderline pitches. That was so impressive because you could just see his heart rate, you know, was in a really good place. Was that classic Shohei Otani and Angels last night? He pitches great, six scoreless innings, strikes out 10, and they lose, Carl. Yeah, it was, it was, unfortunately, it was classic, which is, you know, you wished wasn't the case um, because I think the team is better. You know, if we're going to overreact to the first day, there were certain things that you went into the season thinking, you know what, I think the Angels are better. I think the Cubs are better. I think the Rangers are going to be better. And the Cubs won and the Rangers both won. So you feel good about the idea that, you know what, they, they may be better than they were last year. The Angels, you think, are better than they were last year. If nothing else, it reaffirms that Otani is not necessarily from another country. He's from another planet. Um, he's coming off a WBC in which he was the story. And he was the story last night and did it, you know, you're wondering, like, is there going to be maybe a, a drop in his performance, maybe velocity, maybe location? None of that stuff was there. Uh, so all of that just, again, reaffirms he's not of this planet. He's been beamed down from somewhere else to show everybody that playing both sides of the baseball at this level is possible, but you can't. You can't be a human being. You've got to be whatever he is because it was special. It's incredible. So if Atani's from another planet, uh, we know that Dylan Cease is on this planet. And, Carl, after <laughs> what I saw last night, it occurred to me he might be the best pitcher on this planet right now. Mm. That stuff that he had was so filthy last night. His command was so good. And maybe, and I really wish I'd gotten a chance to talk to him in game, uh, we were having conversations. I was trying to catch his eye because we had talked about doing an in-game interview, and he came over to me after he, you know, I walked to the front of the dugout, I asked him, he goes, no, it's a close game, and then he came over and apologized after that, and I would have loved to have asked him about whether or not this pitchcom device is something that he really likes to work with. It was clear that he was calling his own pitches, Yasmani Grandal seemed to be affirming what he called, because he was yeah. giving signals back to him. Man, was he comfortable last night in his first start of the season. Yeah, and exactly what he said after the game. I, he acknowledged he's never pitched better. He's never felt more comfortable. His command has never been better. You know, this was a guy that had a couple of bumpy outings in spring training, and there were a variety of pitchers yesterday. Luis Castillo was another who seemed to all of a sudden, you know, game one, go to a different level. Um, yeah, and his his manipulation of the pitch zone, up, down, change eye levels, uh, use off speed, throw 98 when you needed it to get ahead occasionally, and that's generally not his M.O., but it was, um, you know, it was, it was kind of like watching a video game to some extent. He presses a button, and then the button sort of, gets to his head and he executes whatever that button is that the relationship between press button, throw ball, get strike was remarkable. And for Pedro Grafol and the White Sox who completely underachieved last year, it was a, it was a very reaffirming start. And, you know, I know a lot of White Sox fans were concerned and curious. Why didn't they do more? I, I think they believed, and, and maybe we'll see, rightly so or not, that we have enough talent here. We we sucked last year. We didn't play well. We were disorganized. We were hurt. 
Um, as good as Cease was, you know, to me, the, the silver lining in that game, too, last night was Yasmani Grandal, who appears healthy. I mean, he was a disaster last year when it came to not being able to perform, bad back, et cetera, and here he goes and and slides all over uh, home plate, blocking balls, hits the home run after he let the wild pitch get by him. That, that was a big deal in that game last night for me, along with Cease. So in watching Cease, it was like watching someone playing speed chess. Because, Carl, you know, he yes, would yes. complete his strikeout, and the ball was just being thrown around the infield, and you could see him go to his pitchcom device immediately as the ball was hitting the gloves of the infielders and being thrown back to him, where he's telling Grandall, okay, first pitch, next guy, it's going to be a fastball or a curveball or a slider. All three nasty pitches for him last night. That was fun. And it was part of the reason why, of course, the game moved really fast, not only uh, in Chicago, but all around baseball. The new rules with the pitch clock. What was your first impression, first game? Because I loved it. And I saw people uh, on social media last night talking about how they couldn't take their eyes off the television because they might miss something. Yeah, uh, two things on that. Uh, I I think the best part about the pitch clock um, was the fact that, from my perspective, it was something that I never even thought about. I mean, I know it was on, but because the pace was – was in tuned with it. it. It wasn't a factor in the game. And and clearly for the pitchers and the hitters, it's a factor. Like there's an awareness. But as a broadcaster and as a fan of the game, watching the game, like this this just felt like this is the pace the game should be played at. It, it's not aberrational. It wasn't, to me, one of those things that you're paying a great deal of attention to because the game's moving along. This is how it should be in a lot of ways. Um, that was one of them. And I and you know as as uh, as people looked at the WBC and the Mike Trout Shohei Otani incredible showdown, th- there was this kind of argument that was made that well, the pitch clock if it were used in the WBC would somehow lessen the drama between pitcher and hitter, especially in that case. I I I, I couldn't disagree more. I'm not sure how we jump to the conclusion that because there's a clock, we eliminate drama as opposed to have the same drama. And in some cases, maybe elevate it. Um, you know, you're, you're on a, you're on a ride at a amusement park and the thrill of it is generally how quick it goes. Roller coaster. You think about Disney world and tower of terror. You're going up and down. It's moving very quickly. There's not a lot of delay and slowness and, and I just I found it interesting that some people used that example as saying this is why we don't need a pitch clock. Where I think the pitch clock is part of the game that we don't we will not think about very often. Rafael Devers got caught yesterday, Buster. Rafael Devers got caught doing exactly what he's done his entire career. He's well aware of the pitch clock, and he kind of fell back into an old habit. There's no debate that he was not ready and engaged with the pitcher. That's okay. That's going to happen. But he will continue to learn to adjust, and it will become his new routine, which I think baseball fans will be grateful for across the board. Biggest takeaway was it was not a factor in how much you pay attention to it. It felt like that's how this game should be played. Yeah, and let's face it, uh, it's not only 
you know, the players, the pitchers, the hitters that are adapting to the pace. It's not only the broadcasters, it's the fans. And once the fans get in tune with it, much in the same way that you can watch a football game and players are being called, and then the two-minute offense, it accelerates in a big moment last night. You know, when the Astros, after Jordan Alvarez, hit the ball 8 million miles to cut the score to 3-2, to two, here comes Kyle Tucker and everyone's on their feet at the ballpark. And we still have the pitch clock going and the game is still moving along. You know, the fans adjusting to what the pace is. I, another thing that uh, was pretty clear from opening day, Carl, man, we're going to see a lot of stolen base attempts. You know, our friend Alex Fast tweeted this out overnight. Opening day last year, there were nine stolen base attempts across the board. The entire spectrum of Major League Baseball, five guys said steals, four guys got thrown out. This year, 23 stolen base attempts, 21 successful steals. You heard both managers yesterday. It feels like that we are going to see a lot more base running this year. Which is great. I mean, which is so great. Uh, look, in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know, people ask, ask you, I'm sure uh, they ask me, uh, they tell us, they preach to us. It's boring. I don't watch it. And I'm not talking about this year, but just in the last couple of years, I don't have the patience for it and all the things, you know, all the things that, that really made baseball great are being brought into the game. And in a lot of ways, the erosion of the fan base had to do with so many of those things being removed from the game. So in a lot of ways, the generation, my, my kids, they're now in their, in their 20s, grew up with this baseball game in which uh, analytics took over. It took a lot longer to play. There were three traditional outcomes. There were no base dealers. You know, Ricky Henderson and Lou Brock, and all, they, they're, like, you didn't even know who they were. Somebody said somebody used to steal 100 bases in a season. They'd look at you like, what? Well, that's not even possible. Like, people, that, that, that can't happen. So I don't know what number we get to, but of course, th this is why it feels weird to tell people what a great game it is when the truth is you've kind of been hedging a little bit. Like, I know Sarah Langs is going to come on, and she's the eternal optimist and the most pure, uh, wonderful fan of the game. Uh, you know, you, me, Kirkshin, Passan, we're in a lot of ways more skeptical, more pessimistic, more realistic to some extent. But all the things that made the game great, that gave the excitement, the triples, the doubles, the stolen bases, they're, they're back because of these changes. And hopefully it recharges a, a new generation of baseball fan. Like, yeah, okay. Now I get it. Now, now I understand. Now maybe I understand what my dad, my mom, my grandma, my granddad was saying. Like now I, wow, is that what they've been talking about? Because that's not what I've seen the last 10, 15 years. And they're right. It's not what they've seen. Okay. I'm going to give you some topics, uh, just a, a few thoughts uh, that you have on each of these. The Red Sox fans booing on opening day. Well, look, they went into that waiting to boo and then the team gave them reason to boo and then they kind of fought back at the end and they're not looking for moral victories up there hey we really tried hard and we lost 10-9 they, they they literally you know they, they were loaded for bear and the red sox provided bear you know the starting Carl, pitcher Carl, so wasn't telling great. Me they, they don't want to hear about organizational no. depth in double a <laughs> no, no, no. They don't, they don't want to hear about that. They don't want to hear about losing close games being a moral victory. And I know the manager doesn't want to hear that. The players don't want to hear that. 
And most of all, the fans don't want to hear it. So we want to boo, and thank you. You gave us a reason to boo. Justin Berlander starts the season on the injured list. The Mets are saying this is a mild issue. He continues to throw, which to me is a telltale sign. They're not completely shutting him down. What are your thoughts yeah. about 40-year-old Justin, Ber- Justin Berlander being shut down or being sidelined? I agree. I mean, look, there, I, there's, a, there's a fragileness to all pitchers that are that age. Um, I think we saw it in the, in the postseason last year with Max Scherzer, his teammate. You know, at, at some point, you kind of just crest a little bit, and then you got to figure out at that age how to, how to get by because of your experience, because of your ability to recognize situations. I don't have this. This is hurting me tonight, and i got to throw this this way. The good news for me, based on listening to Verlander, uh, talking with Buck, it it does not appear serious. Like a lot of times, you can read between the lines. This one, they believe today, that could change tomorrow, Buster. It could change next week when he tries to, you know, push it a little bit. Like, yeah, it's still, it's still cranky. And then you're, then you're, then you'd say, mm, now you may have something that's a little bit worse. All indications, including Verlander saying, if it's the postseason on pitching, to me are are encouraging signs um, more than anything else. The Dodgers win their opener eight to two. Why did we ever doubt them, Carl? On this overreaction Friday. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that was uh, that was one of those that you do check the the next day to see. All right, so uh, how did certain teams do? And you know, the Dodgers are perceived to be somehow way below the Padres, who, as you know, lost. Uh, and here they are, just a routine <laughs> routine victory. And all is right in the National League West if you're a Dodger fan. We're good. They're not as good. They can spend all the money. They're still not us. We have the best farm system. And by the way, since we didn't spend all the money everyone else did, when we need to, we will and we'll end up winning the division again. And we will wind up with Otani next year. Uh, (laughs) I think you can already fill out the AL MVP ballot. Uh, Number one is going to be Otani. Two is going to be Judge. And three is going to be Adley Rutschman. Are you co-signing? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not certain he's not, he's not ahead of, uh, of both of them. I mean, th- this is the, that is the NL East of MVP races. There, there are three guys who are so close based on day one, judge Homer, he's going to hit a hundred. Um, Otani, you know, struck out 10, so he's going to strike out 500 this year. And Rutschman had five hits and was on base every time. So he's going to hit 450. Yeah, all, all very close. Uh, look, we, we saw Rutschman, you know, I know everybody who's a big Adley Rutschman, known him his whole life, have seen this before. We certainly were exposed to it in college. He has a, a Buster Posey way about him as a person. He certainly has the ability that other great catchers have, both defensively and offensively. And, and it, it feels like day one, the next logical step. He was really good last year, like really good. And now it's almost as if he's saying, I, I know I can do this. Now I'm just going to do it at a level where I'm not surprising myself, but maybe you folks out there are going to be a little surprised at how really good I am. He's that good. That's why you're the, you know, you're the best player in the country in college and you're the top pick in baseball. He is that guy. So it's a natural progression. But, boy, he was a wrecking ball yesterday for the, uh, for the Red Sox. George Springer five hits the Blue Jays go off are you among those picking them to win the American League East yeah well I did I did before George Springer went off and George Springer is one of those one of those great guys who who a is a great guy but he he reminds you you know a couple years ago 
he would be on the short list of MVP candidates. And obviously the Blue Jays gave him all that money and, and, and felt the same way. But because of injuries, he, he kind of, it's almost like Ronald Acuna. You know, I'm not sure how many people picked Acuna to win the MVP. I bet very few, if any, thought about Springer as an MVP. But given what he used to do with Houston in the postseason, given how athletic he is, when he's healthy, he is an MVP candidate. So great start for George Springer. And I do have the Blue Jays winning the East. And so we've got the Phillies and the Texas Rangers on Sunday night, which means after we get done taping the podcast this morning, Carl and I are going to drive down to Arlington and tonight, I think Carl's looking at the, you know, the, that area is like this giant menu. He could either do Taylor Swift concert or the mm. women's final four. What are you going to do? Mm. 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 Um, <laughs> well, with, with, all, with all due respect to the Swifties, and I, I have a few in my house. Okay? I, I, get, I get it. But as I said to my wife, Chris, this morning, uh, you know, I said, yeah, Buster and I are taking this drive and, I'd be interested to see if there are any places that you can eat or are they all full? Uh, can you get can you get a table anywhere? Given the number of people that are going to be there, you have the women's Final Four and Taylor Swift and a Sunday night baseball game or a home series for the Rangers. Um, I said she, she played 44 songs. Like how many how many is too many? How, at what point do you say I've heard? Oh, my God. An, 44? Enough of, yeah, she played 44 songs in her in her opening concert. And I'm like, even if I like somebody, like I, I'm going to see Kenny Chesney next week. I, I don't know, 44 songs? Like, I, I'm guessing like between 30 and 30, like I'm maxed out. Like I, I got my fill. It was wonderful. <laughs> At some point you tip over, you know. I, I've, so 40, I said to her, I, I don't know, 44 songs. I'm not sure that that Swift is on Buster and I's radar. It's probably a women's final four. If we can get into that. <laughs> so uh, a few years ago when Alex Rodriguez was dating Jennifer Lopez and Alex was doing the Sunday night games, he got his tickets to go to one of her concerts, Carl. And yeah. you know how much dancing is in her concerts. It was just crazy. But after like the 20th song, I'm like, uncle, uncle, I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I just can't keep up with this. And I just can't sit and just watch. You got to stand and move and yeah, yeah. Uh, 44 yeah. song. Good Lord. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. we'll uh, we'll be able to talk about all this in the drive to Arlington. Thanks for doing this. All right, bud. See you. New York Yankees. For the third time in the last six seasons, the 2022 Yankees were eliminated in the playoffs by the Houston Astros. And the 4-0 sweep in the AL Championship Series was especially frustrating because a lot of the year, New York played on a record-setting pace. But by the time they got to the playoffs, their roster, older than most, was hit hard by injuries. Breakout star. Anthony Volpe probably went to spring training with only a slight chance to win the starting shortstop job, but he thrived in camp, getting a ton of hits against good pitching and impressing veterans with his confident play. Newcomers. During the Yankees' negotiations with Aaron Judge, which led to a nine-year, $360 million deal for Judge, owner Hal Steinbrenner assured Judge that he would continue to make big moves in an attempt to win the World Series. He certainly did that by adding left-hander Carlos Rodon, a multiple all-star in his time with the Chicago White Sox and the San Francisco Giants. Fault Lines. 
The season hasn't even started yet, and the Yankees' rotation is already decimated by breakdowns. Rodon will miss the first part of the season, at least, because of an elbow strain. Frankie Montas required shoulder surgery, and the Yankees aren't counting on him to contribute this year. Nestor Cortez had a hamstring problems camp began. And late in the spring, Luis Severino went out with what the Yankees termed a mild lat strain, the same diagnosis as last season when Severino missed months. Clark Schmidt started the spring probably six in the Yankees' rotation depth chart, and he's now starting the second game of the season. In the shortened season of 2020, DJ LeMay, who won the AL batting title and finished third in the MVP voting. And after much haggling, the Yankees re-signed the veteran infielder to a long-term deal. He's been ravaged by injuries the last two years, including a toe problem that had the Yankees wondering if LeMay, would ever be the same. But early in the offseason, LeMahieu reported that the pain in his foot was gone and he has looked great in spring training. The X Factor. The New York offense should be exceptional again, led by MVP Aaron Judge, who's coming off one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen. Maybe the best season ever. The Yankees led the AL in home runs last year with 40 more homers than the next closest team, the Astros. They were also fourth in stolen bases in the AL. The Yankees will go into this season with a fragmented starting rotation, but there should be a lot of margin for error created by a lineup that includes Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo, a seemingly revitalized the Mayhew, Glaber Torres, and by mid-May or so, Harrison Bader. And rival exec expect the Yankees will be fishing for a left-handed hitter at the trade deadline. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Sarah Lang says 96. Paul Hembikides opines 94. The Pakota projection 95.8. I land at 95 and another division title. Let's have a couple more pieces sound, Taylor. Give me something with Adam Wainwright on the microphone before the game. Kicking off his final season as a player in St. Louis, number 50, Uncle Charlie, Adam Wainwright. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. All right, give me something from the Seattle Mariners game against the Cleveland Guardians. Let her rip. Casey Keller, let's go. I bet you Gary Payton, Beast Mode, and Ken Griffey Jr. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. 
But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We had opening day. It was outstanding. We had every team play on opening day. Actually happened for the first time since 1968. It was scheduled in 2018. We got a rain out. It was scheduled in 2021. We got a COVID positive and rain out. This year it finally happened and it was amazing. Yeah, it was a great day. I'm not having a great morning. Uh, and it was a circumstance that I think only you would have more angst over this than I do at the moment. My computer fried this morning, Sarah. Oh, no. I mean, tell me what that would mean. Forget me. I'll be fine. Uh, but oh, tell me, God. for you and the job that you do, the day after, the morning after opening day, to have your computer fried, all the information gone, what would that be like? That is so stressful even to hear. Oh, my gosh. As you said, the timing, everything. Oh, my goodness. I don't understand how you're smiling right now. Because I'm talking to you, Sarah. And I'm going to make you pick only one moment from opening day, okay? You could Adam Wainwright, you know, doing the national anthem. Abby Rutschman having a great first day. Springer having a great first day. Otani doing Otani things. Dylan Cease was absurd in how great he was. You can only pick one thing from opening day, your favorite thing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, impossible. But I'm going to go with a sort of off-field moment. In Seattle, in one of the last games of the night, they did the whole opening ceremony. They had like MVPs and all-stars from all of the professional sports teams in Seattle. Griffey was there, of course, but also MLS and Marshawn Lynch and all of these different players. And then to finish the ceremony, they had a six-year-old kid, I can't remember his name, do the ceremonial rounding of the bases. So he ran around the bases to kick off the season. When he gets to home plate, Hi France and Julio Rodriguez are there with the biggest smiles I've ever seen. Like the way they looked was as if they were six years old and had just done that. And I just thought that was incredible. And I'd never seen a ceremonial rounding of the bases. That was so cute. That's awesome. It reminds me, actually, uh, back in the uh, first All-Star game played at Camden Yards, the only All-Star game played in Camden Yards, 1992, I want to say it was, 1993. Uh, Reggie Jackson, it was the same uh, event where... Randy Johnson threw the ball over John Crook's head. Well, there was a home run derby the day before. Ken Griffey Jr. hit a ball off the warehouse, first person to hit the warehouse. And uh, Reggie Jackson uh, took – he was part of that. I can't remember how they included him in this derby thing. Hit a home run, and then he circled the bases. And all the fans were going, Reggie, Reggie. It, it was really cool. 
but not as cool as what you're describing. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is zero. We'll go with zero. So, speaking of Blake games last night, Shohei Otani came out and did Shohei Otani things. He had the hardest hit ball in the game. He had the fastest pitch in the game. He also had 10 strikeouts and no runs allowed in his start. Of course, if you go to the box or the scoreboard page, you will notice the Angels did not win the game. He departed. It was one nothing. That was not the final score. So Otani's outing was the 26th since at least 1901, where a pitcher had 10 strikeouts and no runs allowed on opening day. It was the first time that that pitcher's team lost the game. Number two. Number two is 10. So Otani was one of four pitchers yesterday. To notch a 10-strikeout game, Dylan Cease did it in front of our ESPN crew in Houston. And then Logan Webb and Garrett Cole did it against each other at Yankee Stadium and won the first two games of the day. That is tied for the most 10-strikeout games by pitchers in their team's openers in a single season with 1970. I want to be clear. I know I just mentioned that we had every team play on opening day for the first time since 1968. The stat I just mentioned doesn't say on a single day. That's in the team's openers. So for where last year an opening day were across two days, it would still count if it was the team's first game. Just so you know, it's not super, super specific. Number one. Number one is six. So Allie Rushman had quite the day at Fenway Park yesterday. So much fun to watch him being the player that honestly he was last year too and that we all know he can be. A lot of people are expecting him to really carry that team this year as they should. So he was on base six times and he had five hits. So five hits and a walk. Six times on base, most for a catcher on opening day. Five hits, also the most for a catcher on opening day. And there were only seven other players since 1900 who reached base six times on opening day. Hideki Matsui, Carlos Salgado, Darren Lewis, Ken Singleton. D. Fondy, Eddie Robinson, and Bobby Burns. So again, most among catchers for both of those stats and just a handful of guys to do those things at any position. So I think somebody should make, make this prop bet, and I mentioned it to Carl. If right now, uh, if you were to say the prop bet is that the one, two, three, think of it like a trifecta, one, two, three, American League MVP, Number one is going to be Otani. Number two is going to be Judge. Number three is going to be Rutschman. I, I think that's well within the realm of possibility. What about you? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't even mention. I know you guys did. Aaron Judge, of course he homered. I mean, that was the most expected thing in the world. And, of course, you talk about on-pace stats. All of them were on-pace for quite something. But, uh 
I really hope we see Adley Rushman with a top three MVP season. I mean, I'm certainly expecting it, but that would be really cool to see from that team and from him, a young catcher. I mean, just such an exciting figure for this game. All right. So day one, what's the first evidence we have about time of game, about pace of play? What, uh, what did you see? So the average game was around 245 yesterday. Now we're going to compare average time of game to average time of game for thousands of games. Last year, the last year, the average time of a nine inning game was three hours and three minutes. So that's certainly a big change. But I also think, you know, for a bit of a better comparison, I mean, just anecdotally, I stay up and watch every game. This is well established on this podcast. Every game was over by 12.45. We did not even get 12 full hours of baseball on opening day. And the other thing I want to say, and I'm curious how you felt being in the ballpark, and we had seen this with spring training, but seeing with meaningful baseball is important. I didn't feel that anything was rushed. Watching on TV, the way broadcasts handled it and the way you saw it, you weren't aware of it until the game ended or you heard the seven things stretch and you're like, oh, wow, we're already there. It's interesting you say that, Sarah. I was, uh, after the game last night, came back to the hotel, walked up to the bar, and the two fans in front of me, as we're waiting for orders, they talked about how they felt a little rushed. And I mentioned to Carl when we were speaking that you know, it's not only adjustment for the players and for the broadcasters, it's also a little bit of adjustment for fans. But as Tim Kirchin said, after we did the first exhibition game with the pitch clock back, uh, you know, at the end of February, he said what he realized was you can't take your eyes off it. Like you can't, you know, before it felt like, especially, you know, Pedro Baez is on the mound. He could throw a pitch and then you could like, you know, go out and, and uh, run it an errand list and come back before he threw his next pitch. I do think there probably is going to be an adjustment for some fans, but I also think it's going to keep a lot of other fans. I always reference my son to my one person focus group. He loved it. I talked to him after I got back to the hotel last night. He said, I'm going to watch every Braves game this year. This is someone who told me in the past he found it to be too slow. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's amazing to hear from him. And, yeah, I agree. I mean, I wonder if, for the fan reaction, the in the ballpark makes sense because if you're trying to find time to go to the bathroom, grab food, obviously that's tougher. But I can certainly say my one person focus group, uh, me sitting here watching everything, I was just very surprised by how unaware of it I was. And I think that's the ideal. But the other thing is that these games were great games, and ultimately that's what matters. But the fact that it didn't interfere with any game or anything like that seems like a really good thing. One quick bonus question for you. I, I tweeted this out this morning. Dylan Cease is in the conversation for best pitcher on the planet. His stuff, I thought last night, was like, oh, my God. And maybe he's someone who benefits from having – the pitch comp, so he doesn't have to sort through somebody else's thoughts. He's so focused. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, for me, when we talk about best pitcher on the planet, and it's always been Jacob DeGrom for the last handful of years. 
there's an extra level to it. It isn't just what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. And there were moments last night when he would get the ball back, press his button, be ready to go. You felt like you're watching some sort of like super speed robot. And I mean that in a good <laughs> way. And it was like all he is programmed to do is throw really, really nasty strikes. So he looked the part last night, even more so than the box score, the baseball smart page. He just had that look like he is on a mission. And I know Carl mentioned early in the broadcast that he led the majors in walks last night. No walks. He had one outing with no walks all of last year. No walks. That is going to be the key for him this year. No doubt about it. Sarah, thanks for doing this. Great to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Good luck with uh, the tech today. Oh, my goodness. Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies of 2022 reminded us that if you get into the playoffs, you got a chance. After the Phillies barely qualified with 87 wins, they won on a rampage, having fun and mashing opponents, the Cardinals, the Braves, then the Padres, with moments like that provided by Bryce Harper. Swing and a high fly ball, left field, that one is back, gone! Bryce Harper! It's a two-run homer, and the Phillies have the lead, 4-3. Harper delivers. They led the Astros two games to one in the World Series, but the depth of the Houston pitching staff manifested with the Phillies scoring a total of three runs in the last three games. Still, it was an incredibly successful season for manager Rob Thompson and the Phillies. Newcomers. The Phillies went all in to land one of the elite shortstops on the free agent board, Trey Turner, who demonstrated his MVP capability with his performance in the World Baseball Classic. Turner's deal, 11 years, $300 million. But Dave Dombrowski addressed other holes as well, signing Taiwan Walker for the rotation and trading for all-star reliever Gregory Soto. Fault lines. You could argue that no team suffered more from spring training injuries than the Phillies. Andrew Painter, who likely would have been the fifth starter in the rotation at the start of the year, went down with an elbow ligament tear and will miss a significant part of the season, maybe more. Reese Hoskins, a team leader, power hitter, and walk machine, is out for the year after tearing his ACL. The Phillies will also be without Harper for at least the first couple of months of the season as he works his way back from Tommy John surgery. Breakout star. Derek Hall will get the opportunity to take over first base from Hoskins, and he bears enormous power potential. In AAA last year, he clubbed 28 homers and 443 plate appearances, and followed that up with nine homers in his first 142 plate appearances in the majors, along with eight doubles for a 522 slugging percentage. This spring, he had five homers in his first 18 exhibition games. The X Factor. The expectation that the Phillies would be a poor defensive team last season turned out to be accurate, but Philadelphia played through it, and they'll need to again this year. Rival evaluators see the Phillies being subpar defensively at first base, shortstop, third base, left field, right field. But on a lot of days, they should score so many runs behind a pitching staff that generates a good share of strikeouts, the Phillies were 10th in that category last year, that a misplay here or there really won't matter. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. Sarah Lang says 90. I say 91. Hembo, the Phillies fan, says 91. 
The Phillies don't fare as well in the Pocota system, which indicates 88.4 victories. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. Taylor, I got one thing to throw in before we get going on the Bleacher Tweets. Uh, we just heard the Phillies preview. You know who I didn't mention in that when I wrote that up was Craig Kimbrell. Mm. You know, they signed the, the you know, guy who's a borderline Hall of Famer to be their closer for this year. So the Phillies investing big in this offseason. What else you got? Well, Buster, uh, my good friend John Angelos went on uh, 105.7 The Fan uh, Inside Access uh, with Ken Weinman and Jason Lockenfora yesterday during the Orioles game. Uh, gave an interview with, with with them, and here's a little bit of that. Uh, him talking about him offering, he offered to open the books for the uh, the team and uh, extending Adley Rutschman, or you know, just handing out extensions in general. So take a listen to that, and then I've I, then I've got some thoughts. You know, it, it it's difficult for me to understand what that fascination is. So I, you know, I, I don't know that I need to be uh, answering those kinds of questions from the from the from the sun. I'm as transparent as transparent gets. You don't just measure that on one issue like that. It's just it's just really silly stuff. And I don't see them asking, you know, the Nationals or the Ravens or any of those other teams to open their books. So I guess is it is it something that you think is sort of past or or based on what has been said, you still may sort of provide some sort of, I guess, inkling into how the sausage is made? Yeah, I mean, I don't know many companies that do that, that look at how the sausage is made. The league probably does have some issues, but again, we should be judged on our one loss record. We should be judged on our community impact. Our community impact is huge. 75 million people in uh, 30 years is visitors Mm -hmm. downtown Baltimore. Pretty big. And the last thing is we should be measured by how much we drive all of our profits back into the product on the field. Will the Orioles try to be proactive in getting an extension done with an Adley Rutschman, a Gunnar Henderson, or one of your young stars? Baseball is different than all other sports. The Pittsburgh Pirates owner is always going to take more criticism than the Pittsburgh Steelers owner because the Steelers Steelers are not going to be outspent because it's against the rules in football. And and in baseball, that's not our system. So it's always going to be tougher. Hardest thing to do, probably other than hit a curveball as an athlete, is to is to work in a, out of a smaller mid market team in an unbalanced system like baseball. Oh boy, Buster! So uh, this man, this man is a little delusional. First of all, he starts off with the thing, the whole his whole bite, saying like, "I don't understand the fascination about this." My guy. Oh wait, I'm trying to remember Taylor. Who was the first one who brought up the idea of being transparent and opening the books for the, of the Orioles? Who was, I, I'm trying, was that a reporter who said that first? Mm, I don't, could it have been John Angelos himself? Could it have been John Angelos himself <laughs> who started this whole conversation? He's Come like, on. And I'm guessing that that was mentioned, right, in the interview? Did someone point that out to him in the interview? No, you know, he didn't mention that, which is weird. And then... Um, Jason Lockenfora, his follow-up question also weird because he didn't mention that either. It was something like, so are we going to see how the sausage is made or what? Um, I did not hear, an, uh, you know, the, his words played back to him or read to him. So that was an interesting interview tactic. I wouldn't really recommend that when interviewing rich and powerful people and trying to hold them to account. I don't know. I, I got to say, like, I mean, you could call it the McAfee, right? You yeah. bring someone on. And you give them the platform and they say what they say and you kind of, you know, go along with it. I I guess so. I guess they don't want to like 
I guess they don't want to ruin a relationship with him, but he doesn't have anything interesting to say. So uh, uh, the most interesting thing you could have done is, you know, go at him with his own words. His own words. <laughs> like, like, I could I could spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, I mean, one of the first things he says is we should be measured uh, how we put, you know, all these profits, uh, you know, back into the field. Uh, something that John Angelos has literally never done. Uh, I mean, the Chris Davis contract, sure. Uh, they signed Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, I mean, but that's kind of the list. I mean, they traded Manny Machado for a, a, a dozen extra small crabs at one point because they didn't want to pay him any money. So uh, the fact that they, he is saying that, and, and he's going on and on and saying like, oh, we've brought like X million number of people to Baltimore. Hey man, do you ever think about if the team is winning, how many more people would come to Baltimore to see your team play? Like, and oh, by the way, the other thing, too, that jumped out at me about that is, you know, what he was saying along those lines. It's pretty clear they're, they're not making any inroads on signing these young players to, to big multi-year contracts. So the Gunnar Hendersons, Adley Rutschmans, Grayson Rodriguez, that window of opportunity may already be gone, Taylor. Oh my! Dude. And we've seen with some of these teams, like, if you're going to have a chance to keep these young superstar players you got to lock him up. That's what the Braves have done so well. So if we're being super generous with him, like maybe they're negotiating behind the scenes. But because John Angelos has zero credibility in terms of running a baseball organization because they've been to the playoffs three times in 25 years, which is just abysmal, uh, he has no credibility in this scenario. So you'd think that maybe he would want to relieve some of that fan tension and be like, hey, you know, we're working on it or, you know, we're having conversations or whatever, he immediately says, well, you know, it's really tough to do it in this this system. And he, he immediately runs cover for the Pirates owner, who is among, who is his, his ilk, these awful owners in baseball who refuse to do anything to improve their clubs. Like, I don't, I don't know like how he can he can say that with a straight face and, and think that people are going to be on his side and be like, you know what, John, you got it really tough. You got it really tough being in a small market. And, and you know, man, like, you know, we'll let you do your thing. Like, no, dude, the team has sucked for basically my entire life. Like you have you like you got you need to do something to bolster fan feel. You need to get in with the fans. Like, I, I just can't. I mean, he's busy fantasizing about his meet and greet with Bruce Springsteen, clearly. Like, that's the only thing in his mind. Not extending this generational talent that is on his roster that he was watching in person smash a home run at his first at bat, man. Like, I, I love Adley <laughs> Rutschman so much. I, I mean, this is crazy. I could go on, but, you know, Buster, Buster you got things to do. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Take a breath. Yeah. Sarah, do you want to take over the bleacher tweets or should we just give uh, give Taylor a breath here? You know what? Taylor's on a roll right now. I think we okay. got to keep this going. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Bleacher tweets. So Buster's in Houston right now. Uh, Trevor Dunning is back in Montana uh, at Montana Met. He writes in crazy that it will not stop snowing in Bozeman and there were no postponed games on opening day. Sarah Langs mentioned this. Uh, very exciting prospect. Are you excited to go back to Bozeman and, and be greeted by all that snow? I actually am because I like the cold, uh, but I can tell you, Liz, my partner, is not excited about it. And, you know, she came home a couple days ago. Was like, "Up, oh, I gotta go shovel." Gregory Gosnell at Carl's Jr. ninety nine eighty two writes in watching the Moncada slide at third. Were there any calls today swayed by the larger bases? I'm gonna have to check on that uh, just because we were so locked into the the White Sox and the Astros yesterday. Didn't didn't have a chance to watch a lot of games. 
Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit writes in, I watch a lot of baseball games regardless of pace. However, in the past, I have usually had my phone or laptop out and multitask due to the time between pitches. Last night, if I look down, I miss something. Love it. Eyes on the game at all times. Totally agree, man. It was awesome yesterday. Yeah. And as I mentioned to Sarah Langs, first person who noted that dynamic to me was Tim Kirchin at the beginning of spring training. Don Irvin at Don Irvine writes in, I understand the Nationals are loath to eat Patrick Corbin's salary, but why do they keep making him the opening day pitcher? Don't they have better alternatives? Man, the Nationals need to, to unload that guy. He is a mess. Yeah, I think the pace of play yesterday would have been, those numbers would have been much different if not for Patrick Corbin to start the game. He was struggling to throw strikes, mm-hmm. and the Braves wind up waiting him out. It will be interesting to see how much longer the Nationals will watch him pitch. Jatai Joe at Jatai Joe 87 writes in there have been uh, there's been a lot of talk about how the pitch clock will affect pitchers and batters. How do you think it will affect the other positions on the field? Will the faster pace lead to a change in the number of errors we see? I think it'll reduce it. That's my instinct, especially after talking with a lot of position players, you know, not only this year, but in previous years. And they talk about, oh, my God, this slow pitcher. It's killing me because they have a hard time keeping focused. It was clear, and Bregman talked about this last night in the on the mic segment that he had. Like you, you got to be locked in. Like there's not a pitch off. You are on your toes, much more focused. Sort of a border collie mentality. Last one for the week. Slate at Slate twenty one thirty writes in. So Buster, looking back to the WBC as a former catcher myself, I loved seeing Yadier Molina in the manager role for Puerto Rico. What's your thoughts on how likely it is for him to be managing a major league baseball team next opening day? Yeah, and I don't know how much Yadier's into the advanced analytics, but the fact is, is that except in a couple of instances in which, uh, for example, Jerry Reinsdorf hired Tony La Russa, you're not going to find organizations that will take on a manager who's not neck deep in that information. Mm. And so I, if, if Yadier were to ask me, you know, what to do, I'd say go work for a team that's, an, that's steeped in analytics and dive into the numbers if you want to manage in the big leagues. There you go, Yachty. Take Buster's advice. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games this weekend. Everyone will be back on Monday. That's it for today. My thanks to Taylor and to Bruce and to Sarah and to Sarah and to Carl. Thanks to Dylan C's, man. That was fun to watch last night. Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, Enjoy the games. Remember, on Sunday night, uh, we have the Philadelphia Phillies down in Arlington playing against the Texas Rangers. And remember, hate and equality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.